0: Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Becky Frankowitz. She's the chief commercial officer at staffing giant Manpower. She'll talk to us about the ways COVID changed the world of work for women and what can be done to tackle everything from burnout to true flexibility. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please... Take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina from the World Economic Forum,
1: and this is Meet the Leader. It's important to be visible. I don't know that visible has to always be in person. I think visible can be impactful as well. Work
0: looks very different these days post-COVID, especially for women. The pandemic hit certain sectors like education hard, driving some from those fields altogether and the pressure of balancing remote work while caretaking has led some women to put their careers on pause. Women still in the workplace, well, they're more than a little burnt out, especially given the fact that women in two earner families are still doing the lion's share of the childcare. My colleague Gail Markowitz talked to Becky Frankowitz about these trends at the annual meeting in Davos this January. Becky is the chief commercial officer at staffing giant Manpower, and she talked about what these shifts mean and how leaders can ensure that they are adapting and meeting the needs that staffers have right now. She talked about why flexible work isn't always remote work, and why being visible shouldn't only mean in person, and why some women think a four-day work week might bring more pressures than it relieves. She also shared the macro trends that will be shaping the workforce going forward, including some shocking statistics at how quickly the workforce will need to be reskilled. She'll talk
1: about all of that, but first, she'll get us started with a primer on the world of work post-COVID. Yeah, so the world of work has changed dramatically post-crisis, during the crisis. Um, in fact, I'd say it's a different workplace and, and um, it's a different workforce than it was before the pandemic. Um, we've seen the rise of flexibility with a variety of definitions during the crisis. Um, now we're seeing the increased desire for people to come back into the office, creating some conflict between workers and employers. And we've seen a continued, very tight labor market around the world. I mean, our our own Gender Gap report that we published in July
2: of 2022 found that progress had very much stalled. Um, And I know that you've brought out a couple of pieces of research very recently, uh, highlighting that 1.7 million women have dropped out of the, the workforce. Is the news all bad or are there
1: areas for hope? Yeah, so I think I, I agree that the research on the um, Gender Gap Report, we lost a generation, basically, uh, we're set back a generation. And that's really driven by women opting out of the workforce during the crisis, um, in part, and also by women being disproportionately impacted by the industries that were most um, hit by the crisis. And so the the first stage was Industries that women were overrepresented in shut down. Hospitality, leisure, retail, childcare, et cetera, education. Um, so it wasn't the opt out at first. It was the impact. Then the second piece was the opt out. I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm staying. And when you dig in, so our research dug into why, why is that? What do they want from this future of work, this post pandemic, um, part of the workplace? So what do they want? Yes. So first, I'd say we, we spoke to women across Europe and the, and the U.S. And, you know, to summarize what we heard is women believe employers need to do more. They're feeling burned out, um, underappreciated and in many cases undervalued. And, and these are their words. Um, we, we've also asked, so what do you want when you come back for the future of a post pandemic workforce or workplace? And they've told us first, they want autonomy on their terms. So they want work that works for them. They want flexibility, which doesn't always equal remote working. They want equality in wages. So very reasonable. I want equal, equal pay for equal work. Um, and then finally, and this this is interesting, they want more empathy from their managers. Now that managers have seen their whole self during the crisis, they want a manager that understands what they're going through, whether it's as a working mother, whether it's as a caregiver, um, they want managers to understand their situation.
2: And how do you think managers
1: can grow empathy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the EQ uh, is quite critical, actually. I, I think part of it is you grow empathy. Part of it is you allow your empathy to show, and so I think they're two different things, so I'll start with the latter. Um, as we've gone through the crisis, one of the things that has grown engagement as you look across companies is the fact that we've now brought work home, and we've brought home to work. So I've seen people's kids, I've had cats jump through screens, I mean, it's it's we've really seen people's full lives. Um, we've seen what's in their background and what's important to them. And as we go back into the workplace, we can't forget that we've seen that. You can't unsee what you've seen. And so part of allowing your empathy to show is not saying, Oh, just because we're back in a building in some cases or seeing each other on more frequency than we did before, that we forget the fact that we've seen each other's full lives. I think it's, it's showing that and keeping that heart, if you will, in the work, in the workplace. And in terms of growing empathy, I think, I think a lot of learning comes from asking questions. So I think arm yourself with the right questions as a manager to say, how was your weekend? How are the kids, the cat? you know, how's Cisco the cat that I, I saw on the screen, you know three months ago? Um so bring questions into the into the relationship, um, and that'll allow you to connect in a meaningful way. I mean,
2: another big hot potato really is the question of working from home, hybrid work. it's It seems very split and very divided. Some women are finding it very beneficial. Some it's very difficult, especially when they have very young children mm-hmm. at home what's your what's your stance on that is it do you
1: think it's a good thing for women and do, how, how can businesses navigate it yeah so one of the top findings we had is that women want flexibility, but that definition of flexibility is truly woman by woman and candidly, man by man. It's, it's true across the genders. Um, what we found with women is they they do appreciate about a quarter of women would love to have a four-day work week, but they don't want to work seven days and be paid for four. And so there's a little skepticism and you know, can I actually work four days and be paid for, for four days of work? They're also looking for flexibility in terms of start and end time. Most jobs in the world require on-site. You know, Fully remote is really a white-collar benefit. But most jobs require on-site, and you can still have flexibility in on-site work. We've seen a lot of women ask, can I shift my start time just by 30 minutes so that I can drop my kids off at school? Or can I pop out in the middle of the day to go pick my kids up, and I'll come back into the office once I get them settled? Uh, And so having that kind of flexibility in the workplace is definitely something women want. Now, at the same time, Women are concerned about not being in the workplace. They're concerned about the ability to have sociability, relationships, how do I learn about the job? Um, and they're also concerned about the fact that if I'm not seen, will I not be promoted at the same rate? And so um, whereas we hear men say, I want to come back in the office for networking, um, the other thing women appreciate is the separation of work and home. So it's not like they don't want to come in at all. They want to come in on their own terms. And they love the fact that they can have that separation of now I can leave work at work and home at home and then I can mix them when I choose to.
2: I mean, do you think we are going to see uh, a scenario where women are not seen as much because they're going to want the more flexible terms and they're going to be at home a little bit more?
1: Uh, and the men are all gonna be in the office because it's somehow easier. I hope that's not what we see. What I think we are seeing now is again, both genders wanting to come in for very different reasons. Whereas before there wasn't the option of why you came in or didn't come in, but now we're seeing different motivations for coming in. Um, And I do believe that it's important to be visible, I don't know that visible has to always be in person. I think visible can be impactful as well. Before the crisis, we spent a lot of time talking about presenteeism versus performance. Before the crisis, I think it's an even increased risk now um, as we we navigate through you know a, a new future that's um, not written yet. And
2: uh, mental health at work. I mean, mental health has really sort of stormed onto the agenda since the pandemic, and the news isn't good generally. No. How does it differ between men
1: and women? Yeah, so uh, we did this research um, because women are feeling quite burned out. In fact, the burnout rate is even higher among working women than it is among working men. Both are burned out, to be fair, but higher among women. And what we found is in a two-income earner family, um, one in three women are doing 100% of the childcare, even when they're working. And that compares to one in ten men. And so it it is a truth that in many households um, women are still doing disproportionate amount of child care and work in terms of taking care of the home. Uh, and so I, I think burnout is something that that we own as individuals, but we also own as companies um, to make sure, again, that we're we're exercising empathy, we're providing flexibility, and we're setting expectations around when, where, and how you can contribute so that people can opt in and out to reduce their burnouts so they can feel like they can accomplish what, what they want to. And again, I think the individual has to own a lot of what do you want to accomplish.
2: I mean, how do you think that equation can be changed with women taking on the, kind of the main burden of childcare or responsibility of childcare?
1: I think in part, we have to own our own choices. And so, you know, I'm a mother of three. I opted into a lot of the childcare that I wanted to do. And I also wanted to have an amazing career. And so I have to own those choices. I think, too, um, one of the things we found through the crisis that's been fascinating in India, um, where their cultural norms are quite different, is that now the families and the the male partners have seen that the women are bringing the same amount of work home. And so I think transparency, visibility to workloads, whether it's the work workload or whether it's the home workload, um, starts the conversation that I hope will lead us to own our choices and also make different choices as women in the future.
2: How did you also three? Kids respond to seeing you very much out there and and uh, a very full time
1: active member of the workforce. Do you think that, do you think that had an impact? Well, they've never seen anything differently, and so it's been the life they've led. Um, I was very fortunate that my mother led the same life, and so it's what it's what I knew. Um, but I do live in a community where it's not the standard where the mom is outside working outside the home. Um, and so that raised some questions, you know, like, why do you do this and other people don't when they were younger? Uh, now that they've grown into young adults, I think they're um, they're quite empowered to make the choices they want to make in the future. And they know they can choose to work in the home and they can choose to work out of the home. And in my case, they can choose to do both.
2: So something that's kind of come out here at Davos is that from many of the economists who are here is that we are going to see rising unemployment. How do you think, you know, it, might, it really might be... Um, a very different scenario where employers perhaps don't need to be so caring towards their workforces because they've got the pick of whoever they'd like and they're actually laying people
1: off. How do you think that's going to change things? I think that would be true if we hadn't gone through a structural change in the, in the labor availability. So what I mean by that is, you know, we're seeing population rates around the world, um, hit 100 year lows year after year after year. And so we're not reproducing at a rate of a new workforce as we have in the past. We're going to have fewer people in the world to contribute to economic growth with that so a, a persistent talent shortage of, of sorts it won't be necessarily as difficult as it is today but we could use some increased supply to fill some of the high in demand roles we have around the world and so i i i don't think that the the algorithm will change in terms of the power base sitting with employees versus employers solely because the labor supply is going to continue to be constrained and and the uh, a big issue is skills and reskilling um how how can employers help with that yeah so first some some startling data 50% of the global population will need to be reskilled in the next 2 years not 10 years in the next 2 years um skills are changing at the pace of technology and we're going to be in a continuous cycle so i, I think the word upskilling and reskilling um we need new language because the language needs to be how do we unlearn learn relearn unlearn learn relearn in a a succession over and over again uh, a cycle because that's going to be the future of of how fast things change, uh, and so I, in in terms of reskilling, um, it is a necessity. It is a capability. Um, I think it's rooted in curiosity, and so I think one of the real um, huge benefits we should have as employees and what employers should be looking for is this sense of curiosity, because that's what's going to be required to continuously learn as we go in the future. Have you? Learned, unlearned, relearned in your career, <laughs> constantly uh, in my career and in my home life. To be, to be quite uh, honest with you, um, yes, I, I, you know, I was very fortunate early on to have this concept of skill, which we all talk about now. Everybody talks about you know skills versus jobs. Um, we haven't globally t- quite made that transition of skills versus jobs. Um, But early on, I I realized there were some core skills that I had that I thought could play in various dimensions. And that's really how I've built my career. And it's one of the things that I'm a a firm believer in because with the days of I went to university and I have a finance degree and therefore I'm going to do a finance job, they're increasingly coming to an end. They haven't stopped yet, but increasingly changing because now the question that graduates should ask themselves is, What skills do I get with this finance degree? And where do I choose to play those in the global marketplace for labor? Have you ever in your career? hit a wall and just felt like that there's nothing to learn, there's nowhere to go? Yeah. So, um, Interesting question for me because I love work. Um, I think work gives you value. Work is, has integrity. Um, work is a way that we can all contribute with our own uniqueness. Because think about, we may all have the same exact job title. There may be 10 people with the same job title. How they execute that job is often quite personal and quite unique. And I think as employers, we need to recognize those differences because those are skill-based um, and we can all achieve the outcome in a very different way. Um so I would say I'm I have a thirst for learning. I'm I'm quite curious. Uh, so even in a role that some people may look at and say, I ah, you know, you've done that before, what are you gonna learn from that? I, I tend to always find something that intrigues me or, or something when you look at it a few different angles has different learning opportunities. So I've I've never felt I've been in a situation where I I wasn't learning, not yet. And how and as a as
2: a leader, how how do you prioritize when there's just so much coming at, at you?
1: How do you choose? You know which is the thing that needs focus. Yeah, so I was sharing earlier today. Uh, I know there's been some press this week on 2023 being the year of the CEO. Um, I would say 2023 is the year of the manager, because what well, there's research out that says the most important thing to the workforce today is clarity. And so I think managers are where that point of clarity and the point of care intersect. And that's why I think 2023 is the year of the manager. And, and so to prioritize I, my personal styles to say, okay, what are the most important things that are gonna have the biggest impact today, and then over the course of the year, in terms of a of a planning cycle, um, and then I'm ruthless about the things I don't do. Like we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, strategy they say is important of what you're choosing to do and what you're not choosing to do. Um, and I think that's not just strategy. I think that's execution as well. Because we have to choose um, in a world that is that is constantly giving us more and more and more. You have to be able to constantly uh, prioritize and evaluate what's going to have the biggest impact, and that's what I what I try to do and I think is going to be essential uh, in 2023 as we navigate you know what is increasingly uncertain. Our risks report, for example, uh, called a uh, polycrisis mm-hmm.
2: it's a sort of new era. How do you keep the long-term view of being strategic while dealing with immediate crises? It's kind of a million dollar question.
1: Yes, well, I mean it is it is the million dollar question. But I'm not sure I think it's a new question. I mean, we, we are living in a time where multiple things are hitting us as leaders and as employees at the same time. Yeah, I think if we spoke to the generation behind us than generation before them in their own context they would have a similar experience maybe not with the same speed that we're facing it but I think we as human beings um are are wired to be able to um analyze a situation and you know fl- flee or fight um and I think that's that comes into the business world too and so I think the the what we're facing today requires more um clarity it requires more resilience um, and in terms of the long term, it requires you constantly deciding, is the long term the right goal? Because the environment could fully change. I mean, even the, even the labor environment or the economic environment. In November, I was in Europe and it was quite concerning as we looked into 2023. And as I've spent a few weeks in Europe this year already, it's, I mean, it's still not like the rosiest outlook, but in a short period of eight weeks, it's better than it was. And so I think we constantly have to evaluate, you know, is this the destination? yes or no, whereas before we would just set it and say, we're hitting that destination no matter what. So you have to constantly decide, is the five-year vision the right vision? And then am I taking the right steps? And the right step yesterday may not be the right step necessarily today. And so I think we that the agility required of leaders today, um, I do think that that's quite different and and the speed with which we have to evaluate optionality um, is something we've never seen. What do you think leaders should prioritize as they emerge from Davos and head into the rest of this year? That's that I means the top of the agenda is you prioritize people. I mean it is it it is and will continue to be people that drive the economic agenda. Um there was a period not long ago um when I was personally told that you know all the truck drivers in the world are gonna lose their job because robots are gonna be driving trucks. And what I'd say we've learned now is that humans actually augment technology not be replaced by technology. And given the the systemic talent shortage I believe we've now walked into, um, we're going to need technology to help us be more efficient, which of course then means we have to be upskilling ourselves to leverage the technology. And so I think um, if I was, you know, when I leave Davos, one thing that remains is people are at the top of the agenda, skills are at the top of the agenda versus thinking about jobs. We have to think about skills. Um, and I think really evaluating optionality for growth um, in a very fast changing environment. Are
2: there any sort of jobs, new jobs that are, just back to the jobs topic, that are emerging um, that you think are gonna become you know, the sort of top thing? Like, and you've got
1: three daughters. Yes. What would you hope that they would go into? Well, first I'll say that the data shows 67% of the jobs that they will face when they graduate college will be, don't, don't exist today. Like literally that's how fast jobs are changing. Um, so again, I would coach them around skills, data analytics skills, the ability to synthesize, multiple pieces of inputs to make decision making. Um, you know, anything around security is going to be very uh, important as we go forward in a, a more technical environment. Um, and I would say to emphasize soft skills. Um, soft skills are the are are so in demand. Uh, in fact, we did a whole survey, and the top soft skill that's in demand and yet most difficult to find is communications. And so then we looked at, well, surely that's not true in IT. You know, one of the hottest sectors in the world. Yes, true in IT, the top job or the top soft skill required that's most difficult to find is communication. And so I think the universal um, need for people who can express an idea debate a concept for optionality back to that that piece um, is is going to be a very important skill and I'm I'm very pleased that um, all three of my girls have done some studies around communications. Uh, I think it's essential as we go in the future.
2: Do you think higher education is is
1: equipping young people <laughs> <if> well enough. <laughs> Yes, I think, I think higher education is going through its own disruption. I would argue maybe not at the speed that we need it to, because if you think about how higher education works, um, it's usually built around people's expertise, teachers, individual expertise, versus the context of that expertise in today's market. And that is where I think the change, um, has happened, and therefore needs reaction. Um, And when people come out of university, again, I think we're equipping them with some nice hard skills that are within a certain vertical. Um, I think helping students understand the actual underlying capabilities and how they can play those, regardless of what their degree is in, is important. And I absolutely think we need to focus much more on soft skills, um, communications, leadership, um, unleashing potential in other people. Because think about these young leaders, they're gonna grow into managers. And when they manage, Everything's moving so quickly that the knowledge they would be expected to have is truly in the people that work for them. And so it, it increases the need for asking the right questions of the right people that will be an important skill in the future
2: do you think, how do you think tech can can help in that space I mean do you think do you think there's a future for education in the metaverse
1: yeah so I, I do actually think that tech can be a, a significant help um, someone was talking this week about a personal tutor so think about the capability for your children or yourself to have a personal tutor teaching you the Pythagorean theorem with a concept example in in real time um, and if you're ahead of me in terms of your understanding it gives you a more difficult concept and so I, I think the concept of um, technology as a teacher is absolutely on the horizon these are books that you'd recommend <laughs> <laughs> uh, well today uh, I'm'm I'm, I've gotten back into fiction as we've gone through the through the crisis so I'm reading a book called Nightingale which is uh, which is quite lovely um but I, I think it's important to always have probably a business book and a a book for enjoyment, which could be a business book for you. I like to have two going at the same time, um, and to make sure that you keep yourself well-rounded. And and what's a habit that you can't work without? So I learned this about myself. Uh, I, I'm i a jogger. I'd never describe myself as a runner. I'm kind of a slow jogger. Uh, I've done a couple of marathons, so I think I have to claim now that I'm, I'm a bit of a long-distance jogger. Um, but as I came and spent the summer for work in Europe, um, I had gotten off my schedule. And what I realized is I... I, I didn't, I wasn't showing up as my best self. And with limited time prioritizing people, if you're not showing up as your best self, you're letting yourself and and your people down. And so I had to implement like a protecting time in the morning, you know, because it would start with breakfast and go through very late European dinners. Um, and so I had to start protecting that time in the morning to make sure I kept true to what helps me start my day off in the best way.
0: That was Becky Frankowitz and Gail Markowitz. Thanks to Becky, and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club Podcast, is available at WEF, .ch/podcasts If you like this episode, check out episode 47 from last July, Bridging the Gender Gap at Work: What's Needed. In it, I talked to a powerhouse collection of women leaders like Occidental Petroleum's Vicki Hollub, BlackRock's Pam Chan, and ADP's Neela Richardson. They and more share how to make opportunity for others and how to be more visible in your own career. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me, with Juan Toran as studio engineer and Jerry Johansson as editor, and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World
1: Economic Forum. Have a great day.